Hello there, everyone. Welcome to the TSG Podcast. Just a huge disclaimer before we begin that all content produced on this channel is for education and entertainment purposes only. Enjoy the episode. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Surrounding Game Podcast. I'm with my co-host, Sean. Sean, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? You know what? I'm doing I'm doing fairly well. I read something super, super interesting. Okay. And I think you're I think you're gonna like this. And so it's about Taiwan and how the effects of the you know the Taiwan the Taiwan 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 <laughs> and China conflict are really making people, at least in the business world, very uncomfortable on Taiwan itself. And so I actually read this article from the Southeast. China Morning Post, and this is a post that you can find on Apple News. Uh, I'm not sure if it's subscription based or not. I I'm subscribed to Apple News Plus. Um, I'm not getting paid for, to sponsor them. I just really enjoy having their services because I can get all the news from everywhere. But with that being said, uh, one of the articles was written by Amanda Lee. I believe it's Amanda Lee, and she wrote in this article that. A lot of businesses in Taiwan, because of the conflict that's going on right now, are moving their operations offshore. And so what does this mean? This means that all the businesses that was doing their operations in Taiwan itself is now moving out into other parts of the world where uh, they're away from the tension and potentially taxes are much cheaper. And so around 60% of them, and this is the ones that are moving, according to this article, is leaving the mainland China area. So they don't want to do business on the mainland. 30% of them are still, they're, they're telling the rest of Taiwan, it's like, you know, we're a Taiwanese company, but we are still going to do business with mainland China. So 30% out of these, you know, however many are moving, are still resorting to staying on, 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 on good terms with China. Versus the others, uh, at least a good chunk of it is going to go to the Southeast Asian countries uh, about, I want to say 38% from what I can remember, maybe a little bit higher than that. And the remainder percentage is spread out between the South Asian companies uh, or South Asian countries, South countries. And uh, the other percentage is like for the Eastern countries like South Korea and Japan. Uh, but a good chunk of them are going to the Southeast Asian countries where you're looking at Vietnam, you're looking at Thailand, you're looking at the Philippines, etc. So a lot of those companies are moving their operations towards there. And, you know, just from my own experience and from me talking to a lot of uh, people in general, uh, especially business people, they are all saying right now that the Southeast Asian countries are proliferating they, they they're growing like mad and it's not how it was five ten years ago it's really upscale now it's starting to develop really nicely there's a lot of great tourist attraction area a lot of uh cities that look very similar to that that you see here in la new york and uh london etc they're all developing really really nicely and i heard is it's it's light years from what we saw 10 15 years ago and it kind of reminded me of the beginning of how china started where before they they weren't really a a, a a developed country at all they were just you know they didn't really have an economy back in the early 90s and it wasn't until they started ramping up production 
and productivity value on a global scale that they went from a you know a rural country to now a suburban paradise or even an urban paradise so i don't know sean what do you what do you think about countries just moving out of taiwan and going into the southeast asian countries and half of it going on to back to mainland or 30 percent of it going back to the mainland what are your thoughts um it makes a lot of sense that people want to move around in this you know as the um political future of taiwan remains sort of up in the air um you can see some businesses saying look let's just get out of the way you know there's there's other places where we can uh where we can do business where we can manufacture our stuff so let's just pick up and move there you know um i you know there's probably also um businesses that are hoping for or predicting uh, one side or the other to sort of come out victorious, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. If people are saying, yeah, I still want to do business with the mainland, that means either they think, you know, they may think that the, that mainland China is going to take over Taiwan peacefully, or they may think that something like the status quo will continue um, and they can still do business with China without worrying about it. Mm. Um, now I did read a related article that said, um, the Biden administration has stepped up talks to, uh, have a trade agreement with Taiwan. Hmm. Um, so yeah, the idea would be to loosen, um, tariffs and they're sort of two, they're going, uh, they're doing a two-pronged attack on this one is they are kind of uh just talking directly with taiwan and talking about maybe working towards some kind of a trade deal mm-hmm. um, and then they're also talking to uh, allies in the region japan south korea and australia mm-hmm. and looping in taiwan and saying hey let's all make some kind of a big trade agreement um now, wouldn't that, uh, and I don't mean to interrupt, but wouldn't that be kind of counterproductive in the benefit of Taiwan? I mean, right now, a whole bunch of companies are leaving Taiwan because of the tension. And so just having a trade agreement and opening up, you know, talks with other neighboring countries that isn't allied, well, not, I, I don't know if they're allied with China, but isn't, you know, connected with china in in a heavy manner wouldn't that cause china to be more agitated in a sense because now taiwan's talking to south korea japan and the united states um kind of but i think part of the idea is the taiwanese that want america to have their back Mm -hmm. this is a way of america increasing its interest in taiwan and gesturing that they actually want to have Taiwan's back, Mm -hmm. which would then, by some logic, possibly reduce the likelihood that China wants to uh, try to take it with force, right? Mm. Um, The more that people think that America will back them. See, there's this this, um, tricky logic going on here. Mm. Uh, I can't remember who explained this, but I was listening to a podcast where this person explained that there's that American policy toward Taiwan is 
stuck between a rock and a hard place where if America comes along and says, hey, we got your back no matter what, mm-hmm. there will be people in Taiwan who try to start the war on purpose mm. because they they want, you know, they want to have the fight and they want, you know, America to defeat China or whatever. Um, so we don't want that to happen. So we won't say we definitely have your back. Uh, there's mm-hmm. people who have said that some big wars in the past have started that way. Even uh, even uh, some of the early fighting in World War II may have started that way. Hmm. Um, so nowadays, when you want to have someone's back, you don't necessarily tell them you have a blank check. Mm-hmm. Right? A big country doesn't want to go to a little country and say you have a blank check because then the little country can start a war and whether the big country wants to or not. Hmm. Um, on the other hand, if you say, uh, we don't have your back, then they'll, you know, they'll come and attack. So you want to kind of, you want, that's why they're, this whole thing is so cagey and so undetermined because hmm. America wants to have Taiwan's back and kind of maybe not have their back at the same time, you know? Hmm. And so the trade agreements are kind of a middle ground. They're kind of a subtle way of building the connection between the U.S. and Taiwan, right? Mm -hmm. Just marginally increasing America's interests in Taiwan. Hmm. So I guess it's a way to just keep the doors open without necessarily walking through those doors. And, And we're being very vague about you know, saying, hey, we're going to support you 100%. So I guess, you know, that that's that's really playing a really fine line. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's a very thin line that we're walking right now, uh, because if we're if we're doing all of this just to say, hey, you don't you guys don't know that we have your backs or not. So don't do anything crazy. Right. Mm-hmm. I cannot see this going out so well for a long-term strategy um, because it's, it's just like a, a super gray area and, and anything can pretty much topple the strategy over. At least the way that I'm thinking about it. I, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but... I can see that concern. That, that does make sense. Mm-hmm. I think um, part of the problem is there's not really other great options well there might be great options in the future right so this strategy uh sticks with the status quo and helps kick the ball down the road so um part of the idea may be to either um from let's say the united states perspective right now it's tough to decide whether we would want to have Taiwan's back or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, three to five years from now, that decision could be much easier in either direction, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe China is way weaker. Then we'll totally have Taiwan's back. Uh, maybe uh, five years from now, after we've built up some of our own semiconductor capacity, capacity a lot of these other businesses have moved out like what we started with. Now we're not so worried about Taiwan. And also, um, I mean, Taiwan is important from a naval perspective, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, five years from now, 
who knows how much of a problem maybe it's not going to be so bad for us if china has more access to the seas you know Hmm. so i think this is part of part of what's going on here is everyone's kicking the can down the road Hmm. i don't know that that's uh (laughs) i'm still i'm like "Mm." well we'll we'll see we'll see Hmm. yeah describe what you're what you would lean toward you just don't like the uh, indeterminate nature of this whole thing. Yeah, and the fact I, I, that it's I just, just remains you know, in the short term it works, right? So in the short mm-hmm. term, being a little vague so that both sides don't act too rashly, I think it's a good thing. But you know, trying to prolong it, say past the five or the ten year mark, people are going to become impatient. They're going to be like, "Hey, so are you with us or are you not?" And if tension if pressure keeps getting pushed onto Taiwan there, I mean, just think about it. If you were a, if you're a kid backed into a corner and your buddies over there, right. And they're watching you kind of get cornered by uh, other other people. You're going to be to a point. You're going to be like, Hey, are you going to help me out here or what? Or am I just going to have to defend myself? And so, I'm thinking in terms of that. I'm just thinking like, well, if, if I was back to a corner and my friend is just sitting there, you know, to a point, if I if I can feel that my friend is not going to be there to help me and they're just going to be watching or or just leaving me by myself to fend off for myself, then I'm just going to take action initiative and I'm just going to start my own thing and, you know, try to get out of the situation I'm currently in. And so I'm just thinking that Taiwan... You know, right now, 30% of Taiwan's businesses is building good relationships with mainland China. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, you know, uh, the companies in Taiwan, it, most of them aren't going to, you know, try to build a good relationship. They're actually away into other South Asian, uh, Southeast Asian, South Asian countries. And so if we take a look at this, from a long-term perspective and if united states doesn't do anything right and is really on the fence about it and taiwan can't find an answer then the 30 percent who's building a good relationship is with china is going to get influenced by you know both both countries right both taiwan and china and they most likely for china's long-term goal to reunify taiwan back into china China's going to do everything they can to show Taiwan. It's like, hey, we're not as bad as you think we are anymore. We're pretty good. And our dream is to reunify so that, you know, uh, we can unite as one against the Westerners, right? And so those 30% is going to play a huge role potentially. And I'm, I'm just talking about potential, theoretical stuff right now. Potentially, and it's going to spread to the rest of Taiwan. And so if the United States are on the fence long enough and, you know, China plays playing smart, playing, you know, hey, we're going to be friends. We're helping you out economy wise. We're giving you food. We're giving you resources. We're giving you workers, you know, et cetera. Whatever you need, we got it for you. And Taiwan's economy grows because of their relationship with China. Well, then, you know, Taiwan's going to be like, well, you seem like a pretty nice guy. You seem to have a change of heart. And so. Let's have a stronger relationship. We still want to be independent, but let's be a stronger relationship. And if 
United States play was to maintain Taiwan under their control. And again, this is super long term. This is like 40, 50 years down the road. But they've always been on the fence about it. Then Taiwan most likely will let China potentially build a port on their uh, land or something. And, you know, United States or the Westerns uh, culture strategy pretty much goes down in, in the drain uh, with, you know, having Taiwan as a key location. At least, like I said, this is an extreme hypothetical situation, but I can see that this being a, a situation that can occur if given enough time. And China is not going to, you know, be like, we're always attacking Taiwan, right? They're going to be very strategic. They're very smart with these things, and they're patient. And, uh, that's the one biggest thing that, that I, I can see them doing is being very patient. Just like in the game of Go, you're not going to directly attack a, a small group you're going to patiently surround that small group before you go in for the capture and i can see china doing something like this so um i think i can see that i think that china there's a couple dimensions of it that kind of change that in in my mind so part of it is just the history of belligerence between China and Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I'm wondering if Taiwan, so Taiwan claims mainland China for its own. Yes. Um, I, in some ways, that's like a card, that's like a bargaining chip. Well, maybe, maybe someday they could say, look, we want to be, you know, fully independent and you stop claiming us. And in response, we will stop claiming you. Right. Mm-hmm. And they could try to wind that down um but for now there's this belligerence where they both claim each other and Mm -hmm. one of them is way 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 more powerful Mm -hmm. and i think that is the by far the number one thing that makes any taiwanese people really Mm -hmm. lean toward china Mm -hmm. um what makes them lean away from china i think is the fact that they have they're not just necessarily siding with america as much as they've become very democratic themselves Mm -hmm. and they have their own deep culture of uh running a country democratically mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. having this authoritarian system and so they would uh i think that's the big thing that's preventing them from joining china is they don't want to just be under the thumb they've they've done really well with their democracy mm-hmm. and they're very happy with it and they don't want it uh to be taken away from them well, I mean, if you look at China right now, again, it used to be purely communism, purely, you know, uh, Marxist, if you want to call it to that extent. But again, I, I could be I could be incorrect. OK, but if you look at it now, they've introduced capitalistic characteristics inside of China. It's only a matter of time before that begins to take over. I mean, if you look at the story of Alibaba with Jack Ma. Jack Ma thrived in the capitalistic environment. I mean, he brought it into China and really changed China's economy uh, for the better. However, his issue was that he went too forward and blunt at the government itself. And that's what got him detained and, you know, isolated for the time being. So I think well, I think open. what Ch- yeah. China has done something that nobody really expected which Mm -hmm. is they have created a thriving capitalist economy with full-on authoritarian Mm -hmm. government Mm -hmm. and 
a lot of people thought like they would basically go off of what you just said and then say that means they're going to lean toward freedom Mm -hmm. they're going to lean toward democracy they'll start letting their people have freedom of speech Mm -hmm. so on and so forth and that hasn't happened and there's been over the last maybe five or ten years there's been a lot of surprise Mm -hmm. um among americans saying oh crap like here's this uh capitalist economy that's becoming very powerful and wealthy but they still want to have this full-on authoritarian system and they claim that they'll never let go of that Mm -hmm. and so so yeah i think it's it's not an issue of capitalism it's an issue of authoritarianism and those seemed like they used to go together but now it's almost seeming like they don't well again we we are afraid of what we don't know and i'm not pro authoritarian whatsoever i love the democratic system okay so um but we we have to really see it from both sides of the of the coin, right? So we might be extremely pro democracy, but in their circumstances, we don't know what's on the other end of the world because we don't live in that environment, right? What we see mm-hmm. is what we see in the media, which unfortunately can be extremely biased, right? Yep. Um, and so to really have a well-rounded understanding, we really have to take a look at their situation. One, they're one of the most overpopulated populations country you know in the world uh, apart from india you know apart from our democratic view we we really don't know what's going on on the opposite end of the world we don't know what type of issues they have because they're so overly populated we don't know you know the the circumstances that they are in and so maybe an authoritarian uh government is needed for that type of environment again i don't know okay uh if we look at singapore which is heavily you know asian influence confucius influence if we look at singapore they took you know democracy and they made it their own with well for the most part but they were still an authoritarian type of government and they're one of the most successful governments uh in the asian continents right now And what we can't see is that their economy is thriving. Their citizen, for the most part, at least from what I can read on the news and see on on the media, their citizen seems to be very satisfied with the government, even though it is extremely authoritarian. Again, I'm not pro-authoritarian, but I'm just saying that we don't know what their circumstance is. And if we did introduce democracy fully, will that cause a very shaky uh, ground uh, in terms of the overall stability of the country. And so I think that on China's end, that's what they're fearing is that if they introduce too much democracy, where you know every individual has you know the freedom of decision and freedom of education, et cetera, whatever it might be, will this cause under the old cultural upbringing, and again, this is the old cultural upbringing because most of their citizens was raised this a certain way uh, culturally. If we drastically, you know, invigorate the the whole paradigm of that country, is it too fast and too much for it to handle to the point where it might implode on them? I don't know if that made any sense. Um, Yes, it stems from the theory of adaptation and evolution, at least from a biological perspective. Okay, so this is where I'm getting this uh, connection concept. 
And it, it goes from if you put a frog, you know, and we've heard the saying, if you put a frog in boiling water right away, it's going to jump out. Right. And so is that what we're doing where if we introduce democracy, it's like the hot boiling water and the frog is going to jump out or China's just going to implode on itself. Right. Versus if you slowly introduce the idea where you put the frog in a pot of water and you crank up the heat slowly, the frog is not going to feel the change in, in temperature and it's going to eventually be boiled. Right. So hmm. that's the analogy. And I, you're I, thinking I, that might be the plan. I think that's I think because, again, we never saw China taking in capitalistic characteristics. Right. It took them a long time just to introduce a little bit of capitalism into the the system. And so if we're doing the extreme long game where we're looking at 100 years down the road, it took them about 30 years just to introduce capitalism. Right. Mm -hmm. And it might take another 30 years to introduce more democratic beliefs. And it's going to be a slow transition process. And that's why it goes back to my Taiwan argument was like right now you know taiwan doesn't know who has its back and if china slowly just changes where their citizens can change the paradigm of their cultural upbringing over a generation or two then at that point will taiwan be okay down the future or down the road will they be okay with reunification and if so are they going to be stronger together against Western influence? And, and that, that's the whole reason why China is really tight, I feel, on what they allow into their country, because they do want their citizen to have, you know, one na nationalism uh, uh, belief, so to speak, if, if that makes sense. So they, they want them to all unify under one belief system where it's easier to protect yourself if you all unify against or if you all unify with the same core values. I could be thinking super out of the box and I could be extremely wrong, but this is this to me makes a little bit more sense if we're looking at a 100-year time frame, right? A couple generation time frame. Yeah, that's um I I hope that's right. Yeah, especially the thesis that China wants to be more democratic and they're mm -hmm. just doing it slowly and carefully mm -hmm. uh that would be great um <laughs> yeah they say they don't but of course that could just be part of the plan well again um, with you know unfortunately with older generation it's very hard to change someone's yeah. mind once you've been bred into it right so the mm -hmm. only way to change something is to have the younger generation adapt it Right. And it's a very slow process because look at our education system. If we just look at the United States education system, we haven't changed our education system since the 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 industrial revolution. Right. It's mm -hmm. been the exact same. So look at how long it just takes to change education. And COVID was the exacerbating factor where now, okay, let's go strictly online and take that understanding and translate that into an actual governmental paradigm you know it, it, it's it's gonna take super super long just to change everything mm -hmm. so if you change it too fast everything goes to crap but if you take your time and slowly plant the seeds slowly introduce the idea 
that to me makes everlasting change. Very interesting. So, I mean, with Taiwan, um, mm-hmm. there's a couple of issues. I mean, number one, from a Taiwanese perspective, that could not be the case. Yes. So, you know, they, so they're reluctant to join China under its current program. Correct. Um, and in theory, they could choose to reunify later if China wanted to be uh, an open society. However, mm-hmm. um, the further they stay separate, the further they drift apart, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's why China wants to try and reunify soon. Mm-hmm. Um, well, okay. So I, I have I have another thing with that. If you don't mind me uh, interjecting, um, so China knows, and I feel this. China knows that Taiwan isn't gonna agree with it. They're not going to see the eye to eye or they're not going to be on the same page. China mm-hmm. knows that. But China right now, at least from me studying uh, several companies right now, what's happening right now is China is expanding their presence around Taiwan. So the countries surrounding Taiwan, China is expanding their presence. And we see this with Alibaba at least one of the biggest Chinese companies, Alibaba, expanding their presence into the European nations. They're expanding their presence into Japan, into South Korea, into the South Asian countries, as well as the Southeast Asian countries. They're expanding. And how they're doing that is by their allowing different countries, their citizens, right, the country citizen, to utilize their resources in terms of the platform development and building businesses on their platform just like facebook did with the united states just like amazon did so alibaba is doing the exact same thing it's just on the eastern asian countries or the asian countries and so if taiwan which we see is changing their operation values to the other countries and china is slowly influencing those other countries around and potentially making them allies later down the generational line then what does that do for Taiwan? Well, they're not getting influenced directly from China, right? From China to Taiwan relationship, but they're in- getting influenced from everybody else around them who's getting influenced by China. So eventually, all that influence I see is going to merge back to Taiwan, assuming that Taiwan is the end main goal, right? And again, this is just from looking at Alibaba's business plan, their web is extending so far and it's insane what they're doing right now. And there's a lot of talk about government crackdown on them, et cetera, um, at least on the China side, but they're still chugging along doing their business and their, their uh, mission statement is to last the next 100 years. As long as they can keep up, the mentality of I want to survive for the next hundred years, then they're going to be playing the cards for long-term development, not short-term. And that to me is an extremely long-term plan. Hence why I, I, I was thinking of this as, you know, China's overall long plan too. Um, I could be wrong, but if we're looking in the, in terms of the game of go, This makes sense. This totally makes sense in terms of the strategy of a global type of game, not a chess game where you're fighting one and another directly. 
Hmm. And so I, I agree definitely that China's playing a very long game. Yes. Um, I think I would view Taiwan as like a, a, a weak group that's splitting my groups. Mm-hmm. And uh, I need to go after it now. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, were you making the case that China could wait like more than 10 years yeah. on Taiwan? Yeah. Uh, in theory, yes. Maybe. That one, that is uh, like a card that they may be keeping secret. I mean, I don't know. I've been... Um, I mean, they've been waiting for the last 30 years, right? <laughs> so it's like, you know... Yeah, they do, Ty- but they do seem to uh-huh. be stirring it up right now. So if they think they can wait longer... See, well, I yeah, well, I'm, I'm 50-50 on this. I think I could argue this either way. I think okay. waiting longer... Uh, like, yeah, one of the things um, I think I told you before is that uh, in the terms of Go, Taiwan is like Aji. Mm-hmm. It's like a thing that's going on that uh, it you could leave it there. Mm-hmm. But if you start gesturing toward it, the opponent has to respond mm-hmm. you know and so by they could be benefiting by just acting like they want to take taiwan now mm-hmm. but maybe they don't um on the other hand i am starting to wonder if waiting will cost them i think they have um i think one way of thinking about it is they could go through a decade or two where their economy is not growing faster than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And in that case, now would be the time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be a window of opportunity right now for them to grab it. Um, or it could be something that they want to leave there. I mean, so from a geostrategic, like naval perspective, you know, Mm-hmm. It's critical to see Taiwan as like the one sort of gate that is blocking them in, in the world, right? Mm-hmm. If they controlled Taiwan, they could go out into the Pacific Ocean and essentially go anywhere. It's the lack of Taiwan that is really keeping them closed off from a naval perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a big part of the strategic importance. And I think they don't want to be closed off of them. So, but I could I could go either way on this. So hmm. I don't know. We could talk about this forever, but maybe. We should. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, here here I'm gonna give you one more thing, and this is on another article that I read today. Mm-hmm. Just just so that you know, we kind of see China's strategy, and I thought this was really really interesting. So you know how a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago, I I can't recall off the top of my head when this happened. But you, uh, we were in the process of delisting, delisting a lot of Chinese-based companies from the United States Stock Exchange. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's due to their non-transparency of uh, following the general accepted accounting principle, as well as you know, stuff uh, regulated by the SEC guidelines, etc. 
And so right now, one of the companies, again, Alibaba, it's trying to work with the U.S. government, both China and U.S. government. They're trying to work together, but there are some sensitive information that the opposing country doesn't want to give up on either side, right? Uh, mainly, we're talking about China giving up to the United States because it is a Chinese-based company, and the United States is the one asking, hey, show me your books, right? And so what's happening is that Alibaba had to find its way to kind of prolong the delisting on the United States stock market. And so it kind of went into um, the, what do you call it? It tried to find a way to extend it. And one of the ways it found was to appease the Hong Kong stock market. Now, Hong Kong, as you know, is one of the Chinese uh, territories that China wants to reunify. Right now, Hong Kong, it's its own democratic subsidiary. Mm -hmm. Is that the right word? I think it is. It's, It's its own thing, right? And China does want to bring Hong Kong back into the fold. So right now, Alibaba just got listed on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange about a month, a month and a half ago, and it prolonged the delisting of the the New York Stock Exchange. Now, why is this important? Because now that Hong Kong opened up its doors or its gates by allowing a Chinese company to, to be listed on their stock exchange, it allowed the investors of China to pretty much interact with Hong Kong, right? And mm-hmm. so what does this mean? This means a lot more money is coming out of China into Hong Kong, and Hong Kong likes that. So now there's talks about, you know, there's there's talks right now saying that, hey, Hong Kong, you know, we want to keep investing, but you're making it really hard for us. We have all this money, and we want to invest in your stock exchange, but we just can't. And Hong Kong's like, why is that? And, and China's like, well, you know, Right now, we have to trade in Hong Kong dollars. And unfortunately, with Hong Kong dollars and the Chinese yuan, if we try to exchange back and forth, it's causing us to lose in the long term because of the transactional costs and the the uh, volatility of uh, trading funds or trading currency, right? The currency exchanges. And so, Hong Kong, can you do us a favor? Allow us to trade in yuans. Chinese yuans, mm-hmm. and we will bring in more money into your stock exchange. And Hong Kong's like, hmm, let me think about that. You know what? We might have a test period out. Let, let's test this out and see how well you do. And so right now in one of the articles, that's essentially what's going on is they are opening up the possibilities, if not already, for companies to be listed as yuan-denominated funds or yuan-dominated stocks. And this allows more Chinese money to go into Hong Kong and allows more flexibility, more ease of investing on the Chinese perspective. And so what does this mean then in terms of overall influence? Well, this means that all the companies or all the countries that are invested in the Hong Kong Stock Exchange now that they're seeing more companies denominated in the yuan, or more con- or more companies, you know, opening up to the yuan denomination. Well, guess what? I'm gonna 
if I want to invest in Chinese companies, assuming that their companies do well and they're listed, you know, with strict regulation guidelines like the like the United States, well, this might be an opportunity. So let's start investing in more Chinese companies. And so very similar to the whole idea that Russia had with oil, hey, purchase this in the uh the Russian uh what what what's the Russian currency called again? I forgot. <laughs> mm. I totally forgot what their currency was called. Um, this is gonna annoy me. Ruble. Is it ruble? Yeah, I believe so it's ruble. Yes. Purchase oil in the ruble. Why is that important? Because we're changing or they were trying to change the uh reserve currency of the world by making people purchase in ruble. I think it's the same idea with the Chinese yuan. Once some companies are listed as uh, denominated as the yuan, it's going to cause more and more companies to be like, hey, I kind of want this type of income. I want I want my, my company to get more. So I'm going to list my company as yuans as well so that more Chinese investors can pour their money into my company. And that's going to manipulate or influence you know what people are going to think about in terms of reserve currency and potentially the look of china at least on the eastern front again I, let me know if, if my logic was biased or something because um, i this is your first time hearing my my thoughts on this right Yes, at least for the viewers to know, this is this is the first time I'm actually talking. So, uh, I've sat down and I thought long and hard about this. Again, these articles came out today, so with the base knowledge I have and with reading these articles, I'm kind of trying to synthesize overall what could potentially happen. And this is this is what I think. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, it makes sense. I don't know if I have much of a response it's kind of hard to say what's going to happen in the future because it's the future you know well yeah but uh but i don't know is the idea of having a u.s denominated um stock exchange or yuan denominated stock exchange or a yen denominated is that going is that essentially in the same lines of what we talked about prior podcasts where it's like changing the reserve currency of the world Hmm. Uh, hmm. I'm not sure. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to ponder that. Mm. All right. Well, what do you think? This is a good place to stop. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, everyone, <laughs> Sean. <laughs> We, we talked a lot today. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening up to this point. If you guys have any comments or clarification or questions, please put it in the uh, chat below or on Apple or Spotify or even email us. Uh, that would be really cool to hear from you guys. And so I'm hoping you guys enjoy it. Until next time, my co-host is here. Until next time, guys, don't trade a dollar for a penny. And we'll see you in the next recording. Take care, everyone.